Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Investing Talk. This is Aurelia. Uh, I have a meetup here in London, Ontario, uh, once a month. I have some uh, good speakers lined up. Um, we're not sure the month yet, but uh, I have the person who those people helped shape London. So that's pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Somebody who built the London, the Covent Garden market and another one who um, and, and uh, 3M's uh, headquarters in London. And another one uh, who built a lot in, in Florida and, and in London, a hotel, I think. So we'll have those guests. I'm here with Glenn, glennsutherland.com, who was a mastermind and uh, um, about investing in the US. And Darcy, darcywhite.ca, who has um, a blog on his website where he dives into uh, his thoughts and the different topics we cover together. Speaking of topics, today we will discuss when to do an on-site visit. So for a lot of us, I think it's relevant for the three of us because we all three invest in outside our backyards. So the question uh, comes, when when do you need to go on-site? And um, so personally, I've been investing for 10 years and my first property 10 years ago was a fourplex. And I hired an inspector to go inspect it for me. I had seen it myself, but I wanted an inspector. And the inspector didn't even bother visiting all three units. Um, one of them really needed a lot of work. So I, I wish he had been to that one in particular, but he he avoided that one, didn't go to that one. So that was pretty useless. So um, yeah, so I think um, I think it's good. Because you want to be thorough in your due diligence. So you want to, because these items can be helpful when you retrade, which is uh, when you renegotiate the price, um, when you're further down along in the negotiation process, because this brings you ammunition to discuss uh, the price, because you know you, you need to do that, or there is this or that issue that you discover, uncover during due diligence. And yeah, why not? I'm no expert in construction, so it's good to delegate to um, uh, somebody who is an expert. Just make sure they go visit uh, all the units and uh, everything that's uh, important, like the basement, for example, water is your enemy, and the, the roof, because these are big capital expenditures. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, these are some of the thoughts. And then... One thing that's also good to do is to look at the property at different times of day. Uh, you can do that yourself or get, get someone else to do it. Um, what I've done in the past, so you can look at the maps of crime. You, this is available in the US when if you invest in the US. What I've done also is call local convenience stores and ask them questions like, would, uh, you know, as a woman, would you go walk at night in, at night in that area? and other test questions to try and um, investigate the market and get some information from locals. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. The only reason I would phone a convenience store is just to ask how old the hot dogs were. They were on the heating rack. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's that's good. I I, I I think I have some of these things and I have to define which hat we're maybe we're wearing because I think we both wear two different hats in this thing. So in my role as a property manager, um, I do visit Saskatoon and Fort St. James and places where I have properties that I manage, where I'm the property manager. 
And I do that regularly because I am looking at the property. I'm directing work. I'm uh, building relationships with uh, contractors or my tenants. But when I'm the portfolio manager, and that may be relevant to many of our listeners who are considering remote purchases that are under management, like for, for Glenn's folks, Canadians cannot take an active role in property management and construction in U.S. properties. You're just not allowed. So you have to work through others. So in that case, you're working more like I do with my other hat as a portfolio manager. So defining those two categories, I have different, you know, different answers. As a property manager, I think someone who's responsible needs to have eyes on the property. And as like Ari says, you're looking at large capital outlays and CapEx expenses. You just need to be there and make sure that the parking lot, the parameters of the of the contract or the work are let correctly, the work is completed, that kind of stuff. So in that case, I'm there. I'm following up fairly regularly. I visit my properties probably 10 or 11 times a year. And that these are include flights and drives to get to them. Uh, it's quite a bit of travel. I would say I would more frequently in the past. But if I'm working as a portfolio manager, I think this is relevant. Um, I'm there at the beginning to confirm the asset. So for instance, we bought a bunch of buildings, uh, fairly significant, large buildings in Edmonton. I've seen Google Streets View. I've seen the financials. I've seen the due diligence packaging. I've seen the site, um, uh, the site drawings, um, all of that other stuff. But I've also seen the property and I sat there across from the car and looked at it, got out, walked the streets, walked the area, drove the area. And I've come back, like Ari says, at different times of day to see it again. See it at night with all the lights on and see how many lights are actually on. Who's in there? Uh, for me, that's relevant. And when I raise money in, on, as my portfolio manager, I'm able to say to our investors, I've seen this property. I've walked the streets. I've seen every suite, every hallway, every common area, every boiler room. I've seen the whole property. I am comfortable offering this property to you as an investment grade purchase. I need to have that confirmation in my heart that I've done the, my, my work. And to be able to say it to others, you know, maybe if your portfolio gets so big like Bob Dylan at Main Street, he can't look at all 15,000 properties. There's someone doing that for him. And that's really, he's beyond that role. But in my current role, I need to be that person that says that, but I don't need to be there again. If I'm picking baseboards, picking the colors for walls, if I'm picking the flooring, that's a property manager's job and a contractor's job. And I'm really wasting our company's resources if I'm flying to Saskatoon to pick flooring or paint yes. chips. That That's reminds insanity. me of a conversation. I was listening to a podcast today. It's, his name is Jason Dries. And he was talking about, um, with an entrepreneur, and they were talking about control. Mm -hmm. And said, it's okay, because you, you don't worry, you know. By delegating, you're not giving up control. You still decide, you know, who works for you. You can still let go of them and, and uh, tell them what to do, what it is you want them to do. And But yeah, it's very important to delegate and there are certain tasks that you're better off delegating and not not doing yourself. They're they're not a good use of your time. And yeah, just like you said, Darcy. Absolutely, Glenn. You're a master at this. You're working through others in the U.S. where you're not allowed to take an active role. I mean, you have to be really people careful. People do, though. People do. Oh, I know that's a mistake. <laughs> um, no, but people do. I'm going to circle back before we go any on to me. But you you said you visit the property like ten or eleven times a year. Um does it does that always make sense like say no. um 
you say you had a fourplex like just mm-hmm. you could literally eat up your entire profit for the whole year just making 11 trips from vancouver to uh, i don't know say you know pei if you had it out there or yeah. brunswick you could literally just eat up all of your profit no you're right and that's uh that should be some context when i go to f- my trips to the north i fly to prince george i visit two strip malls, an office park, and two apartment buildings in that same trip. And I divide the management between all of those. So it becomes uh, doable and efficient. And by adding to that that locust, I can make my management get cheaper and cheaper. I mean, one of the great things, I mean, there's not a lot of great things that came out of COVID, but uh, uh, this kind of thing, the technology for having face-to-face conversation with important people has reduced my travel a lot and our cost of management. You know, when you're talking about remote properties, you you have to factor in travel and visiting your site. Um, you're right. In Edmonton, we have 11 properties. I can split my my management, my flights between 11 properties, and it becomes quite manageable. Uh, Saskatoon okay, so, is between so two. So say you're going up there, right? You have somebody local property managing, maybe? Or mm-hmm. maybe? Yep. So, so what do you, you're just going up there to shake some hands and kiss some babies? Or like, what are you doing here? Yeah, I go for two reasons. I know that's that's he's exactly right. Ari's laughing. Um, it's an old political trope that polit- politicians just kiss babies and shake hands. Um, I go for I, it's so true. I go for two reasons. The first one is relationship. I have a relationship with my tenants, my commercial tenants. So I stop in and say all of them. I'm I'm vitally invested in their businesses succeeding, and they need to see that I'm invested in their businesses succeeding. So I go for relationship. And that could include the Chamber of Commerce manager, who's a usual regular. I see three or four or five times a year, and I talk to probably weekly or monthly. Uh, the district manager, these are small towns, so you get to see the CAO of a small district um, by just dropping in or making an appointment two or three days ahead of time and say, hey, I want to talk about property tax. I want to talk about crime. I want to talk about tagging. I want to talk about what the district's doing for incentives in the downtown. And you can actually get an audience with the mayor. That's... That's the genius of small town. Now, I can't say that I get that in Edmonton or Saskatoon, but I did get that in Windsor. Um, So first reason is for relationship. The second reason is also for relationships. I mean, that's a really big reason why you're there. I'm just saying it twice to emphasize it. It's all about relationships. I don't add much more. I'm directing work from the phone, from my phone in the office. What I'm going is checking the work and making sure that they are committed to the same things I'm committed and that we have a personal commitment to each other and the work. So if I don't show up, I mean, I think it's just like getting used to things in front of you. It's a fresh set of eyes that say, Hey, what's happening here? What are you doing there? What's happening with this? Why is this tagged? Why is this broken? Let's fix that. Let's, and some attaboys and encouraging people and making them feel like they're a part of uh, part of the team. So is there a is strategic the- time to go? Is it like, you know, if you were going to only go once or twice a year, would you like pick like Christmas times or maybe you wouldn't pick those times because maybe they're not there. I totally, I do. I totally, t- this is so good. I totally pick Christmas okay. because it's, let's, let's change that up. I totally change, pick the seasonal solstice for however you uh, celebrate it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm dead serious okay, because, okay, you know, yeah, yeah I have, uh, I have, uh, I have contractors that are Muslim. I have contractors that are Jewish. I have contractors that are Christians and a handful of Wiccans. I don't, you know, I'm not discriminating on how you celebrate, but we all celebrate around that seasonal solstice. And it's important to be a part of that, to recognize, hey, this is important to your culture. It's important to mine. And this is something we have in common. So absolutely do find Christmas. And year end's a great time for a reset. Say, hey, 
that was a rocky year or hey that was a great year it's a good time for reset to just fix what happened in the year and to talk about how we're going to do a little better or a little different in the next one or how we're just going to continue on with success to success but it's a great time that's an awesome question i do think for people that are in northern that work in northern climates where that's all i got if you're not there at the end of October and November, checking roofs for leaks, flashings for getting ripped up by the wind, um, roof hatches, drains, heaters, you're out of your mind. But Darcy, Everything breaks have, in the you cold. Have, you had on-site people. Shouldn't they be knowing about this stuff? I do. I do have them. I have contractors that go up and do their, and boy, a week later, I send them back because the work's not quite done. It's These are HVAC and mechanical guess, guys. These are roofers. Yeah. You know, they say it's all done. They send you a bill and it breaks the, you know, it's not quite done. So I like to sleep. You know, this is the thing. I have had five warm vacations in the last 15 years in the wintertime, in November or January and February. Every single one of them has been marred by two or three days of me on the phone with a roofer or a heating contractor. After I've done every single thing I could do to make sure that my winter is not destroyed or there's no leaks or there's no drains blocked up or that all the heaters work, all the rooftop units have been serviced. It just happens. I keep dreaming that by my trips in November to check everything and make sure it's working, that it won't mar my vacation in January. But, you know, I don't think you can get away from that. I have really good people, but, you know, are we going to spend $5,000? Are we going to bring a contractor in from Prince George? To pay three hours of drive time each direction, double time rate to come out at night to put the heat on. Yeah, we're going to do that, but they don't feel that they can make that call. So I end up making that call. Yeah, that's a $3,000 bill, but they're a hugely important customer and they need the heat. It's minus 25 in Fort St. James in January. So I wish I could be more efficient, but those are special times. Uh, also the springtime, I'm there before the air conditioners go on, making sure that anything happened over winter is all cleaned up. The machines are cleaned. The filters are cleaned. The pleated filters are cleaned. Condensers are washed. Ducting's cleaned out. Batteries in the thermostats, all of that stuff to make sure it's done. Um, I don't sleep unless I check it. So I may have a problem with workaholism. Yeah, that's where my mm -hmm. mind was going. So whenever yeah. I do this stuff, I'm like, let's make a checklist. Let's get someone to do it. And if you, if they're not doing a good enough job, let's hire someone else to check their work. Right. Um, Cause yeah. I, I usually like, if you listen to like my other podcasts, a lot of times I'm preaching, like, you don't need to see this stuff. You just need to hire people to do this for you. Right. Um, yeah. which can, it can go both ways. Like right? sometimes you don't get what exactly what you're talking about. You don't get what people, um, yeah. what, what they promised for you. I, you know, I'm not, this is good. This, it's a good challenge, Glenn, because I wonder if the, Difference might be in if you're flipping a property and you have an expectation of, you know, uh, maybe doubling or so your investment, that maybe there's a tiny bit more fat to hire more bodies. But if I'm holding a long-term property, like a commercial property, your realization might be 5% profit. Um, okay. That's, you know, 5% management, 5% profit, maybe six or seven if you tweaked it up. Maybe five to six percent of uh, principal repayment, maybe five percent of of um, appreciation in the market, but your real cash flow is really that five percent of cash on cash. Hiring better, hiring more expensive, hiring more, really affects that number. It's it's we, quite considerable. Darcy, I think we could argue how valuable your time is, like what you're 
Totally <laughs> we, we, we can have a whole battle here. <laughs> That's so true. There is no line item that says how much Darcy is worth in any of my companies. Yeah. I get a wage. I get yeah. a wage and that's pretty much it. Um, and but, I know you, you get to think about this, right? Like you oh, know, your travel time, everything else. And you think about like, you know, um, if you had time to sit at your desk, maybe you could find another property, you know, what, how else could you leverage yourself? I mean, you got the big grin on your Okay. Face. <laughs> I'm blushing here. And I almost feel like you and my wife and my therapist have been talking offline. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, any problem you can bring it boil it down to uh numbers so it's there is no uh issues around control and it's mm -hmm. just you know pure numbers and trust and can you are you able to trust people trust what they see trust their work and so i think there is an element of trust and also an element of of cost what is your time worth and and can someone else do it that you trust and and uh, whose whose opinion you trust and you can you because know, you have built a relationship with them, you've empowered them in the past, they, they've checked on stuff for you in the past, and they've done it successfully, so you feel confident you can uh, rely on them in the future. Yeah. Oh, I... So I can argue both ways, though. There's, there is a bunch of reasons to go on site. Totally. Okay. There is. You so, should tell us why not to. I'm going to tell you both. Okay, um, do it. Okay. I'm so... not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> That follows up from what we were just talking about. So I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, we've been making offers on properties in Texas, right? And um, what we're getting feedback from the brokers is, is the reason that they're taking our offers more seriously is that we have walked the property. Um, people who make blind offers and have never seen the property, they have a high suspicion that they will not close, that they won't even get past the LOI they won't actually get an earnest money deposit that comes in after that period. Um, they're just skeptical. The whole thing is garbage. Um, yep. And sometimes they will take the lower offer that has people coming and looking and serious and shaking hands. Um, and with this, it also comes down to, did I fly to Texas? No, no. But we had people from our team fly to Texas, right? Mm. Um, with, with a lot of this, it... Um, they they it doesn't necessarily have to be you with all this but there is times yeah. uh we went to buy a portfolio of i think it was 33 houses or 35 houses somewhere in that range right 30 30 to 35 we'll say houses you've ever like a lot of times if you go what's what's glenn's practice to not actually go there it'd be like you know pull comps verify comps you know for arv pull um yeah. you know uh you know, get your estimates based on square footage and a whole bunch of different factors to estimate what the renovations would be. Get that all verified. But it's all like check, verify. And a lot of it involves people walking the property in order to do that. If you're trying to buy, uh, say, 35 houses, um, do you know what how big of an ask that is to have a contractor go and bid out what needs to get done on 35 houses? It's honestly, it's an impossible task. No one will take it. You're probably gonna have to hire 10 <laughs> or maybe eight mm -hmm. contractors to do this. Um, and they're going to actually ask for money. It's not like sometimes I can get stuff bid out for free because they're just going to look at one property and they do it on the way to something else. Right. But no, it, sometimes you have to go because it, it, it has to, it just isn't the ability to scale out to somebody. Right. So um, that's one of the reasons we've flown down there. Um, sometimes to go to banks, honestly, um, 
you throw up a lot of red flags when you just send them an email, you want to set up financing, you want to set up a bank account, everything. You just, if you've never been there, like in the back of their mind, they're like, is this real? Is this a scam? Yep. Is this coming in from some, you know, crazy country? Is it some scam that they're, they're pulling? Right. And they, you know, I've had discussions with the fraud departments of many banks because they, they see stuff and they see international yep. wires and they see stuff they're like in large amounts all the time and there's yep. it, it triggers a lot of people right and um sometimes just going there and shaking hands and going for coffee with them it puts their mind at ease everyone there at ease <laughs> they're like no i've shook that i've met that guy um so that's one of the things just like you said i go there and um i like to go down um we went down twice this summer and uh down to dayton down to toledo we went over to columbus went to cleveland um i've been down to huntsville a few times sometimes usually it's just to shake hands at the start when i first started buying in the u.s i went to see my properties that i'd already purchased but they were recently purchased um but part of that was that it is a write-off to go visit these properties um i did it with a group of my friends um, I honestly really did want to see these properties. I really wanted to know what I was buying um, because at the start, I wasn't as comfortable as I've become with doing this remotely. Um, but now a lot of times it's to shake hands and keep up communication. We went down to Dayton. Totally. We went for dinner and we shook hands. We had some drinks. We talked. We talked about the future. We talked about what's happened in the past. You know, those sort of good conversations. Um, in the past, I have went down to Dayton before to save closings. So we had one closing um, a couple of years ago that it was supposed to close on this date. And because of the notary issue of me being in Canada, getting my notarization done in Canada, and a lot of times they won't release funds until they have wet signatures, what they call it. When you, you sign it with blue ink, <laughs> always use blue ink, even blue. if they don't ask, yep. use blue ink, <laughs> and then yep. you overnight this to them. If they send you the closing package on the closing date, that means that they're not going to fund the project to um, the seller of the project until the next day. In the one situation, that didn't work. They had financing that expired on that date, which really we should have picked the date earlier. Um, yeah. But the financing expired on that date. And if we didn't do this, they had no idea what they were going to do. They were going to lose. They're going to have crazy penalties and everything else. So anyway, what we did was I, we, I drove. I got up at like three o'clock in the morning. I drove the like, I think it was five or six hours to Dayton, went to this the the notary, signed all the paperwork, went and visited a couple of my properties and drove all the way back in the same day. I don't actually recommend ever doing that. That's a, that's a miserable day. Get a hotel <laughs> or motel or whatever you want to do, an Airbnb or whatever, and, and, and actually stay. And, and But I, I did it all one day back and forth. But I was also, you know, how long ago was that? Five, eight years ago when I was a little bit younger. Um, but anyway, um, it's fun to go see these properties is why I go there, right? Um, it is. Also, also, a business trip. Anyway, business trip, write the stuff off. Yeah. yeah. And also, you know, when you invest in a community, you're part of this community. So what I've done initially, um, I don't know if it was for good fortune. I picked up, I went to, a, I remember going to a, um, a neighboring town where I was going to invest and I picked up the bill for a few uh, for uh, I picked up the bill at, at dinner for people without them knowing or I paid at the grocery store and just do good for the community and now I'm looking at the so I, I've invested in one area in particular 
And uh, I'm talking to a, she used to be my banker and now she's a community leader. And we are talking about doing um, a fund to promote entrepreneurship. So I'll happily uh, be uh, at the helping with that, giving some money and also providing some advice and, and helping maybe a, it's a, it's a good way to network and to uh, talk to other entrepreneurs in the community so that because you know and it's in the end it's good for it's good for business it's good for um real estate when you have job growth because those those jobs are going to attract the population growth that will then trigger the the real estate cycle uh, like we've said a, a few times and yeah it's important to be um, to contribute and give back to that community that uh, uh, I know I've I've gone I've had a, uh, this community has given me a lot so I, I think it's very important like you guys were saying you know you're you're part of the community you meet with the banker you meet with the mayor you meet with the the actors of this community and you try to uh, um, help them and uh, and if like if you invest in Canada you know there is a housing shortage so you know trying to do uh, things to um, see, see what what the community needs and see if, if there are ways you can help the community, well, the community part is a okay. really valuable part too because you're you're getting to walk the community you get to see what's going on you get to get the feel of it i know darcy likes to walk into the back alleys and and see yeah. everything but i was down in detroit and i was walking i'm like there's my property right there and you just you, you park your car a little bit farther away and you walk all the way along and you're like hey from google maps i couldn't see the damage on that side of the house i wonder if i could buy that house Mm -hmm. they obviously are in some distress um it doesn't look like anyone lives there there looks like um this is an opportunity to fix up another house on this road and it looks like nobody lives there it's an abandoned house um this could be you know it's good for me to build this up um, i'm gonna have be able to comp out against my own property and uh yeah it's good for the neighborhood we were buying improving on... communities yeah mm -hmm. I, yeah I, there, was, there was a real rough neighborhood or still is a rough neighborhood in dayton and uh, the contractor and I, when we were there walking it, I, I looked at her and I said, I want to buy the whole road. I'm like, <laughs> do you think we could work on, we could do a letter campaign and we could just buy the entire road. And she's like, they keep coming up. So, and it's not a long road. I think there's only like, it's four blocks long. I'm like, and she's like, I think over time we could build, we basically could return this whole thing apart, this whole neighborhood around. Right. And you, you know, you don't feel it until you, you don't see it. You don't feel it. The same as when you're looking at pictures on uh, online like, there's a podcast time. on youtube there are four seasons it's called from broke to walk and it's not a walk uh, like you may understand it you know from uh, <laughs> campuses it's a uh, broke to awaken and uh, and uh, the the woman on the show has uh, this is what she's done she's taken neighborhoods and and transformed them and she had a calling when she was young she, she realized okay i need to do a it was she wanted to find human trafficking and that's that was her calling and, and god spoke to her and told her uh you need to you need to make money to be able to make a difference and that's what exactly what she proceeded to do so she has this podcast and um and she's uh she's uh she's uh she's doing a lot she and one thing that's very uh, admirable that she does is she she repurposes uh former green beret she, she saw a green beret she had an event once and then later on heard that he took his life and she was like that's such a waste so she she repurposes those green berries and they go on operations you know in in war zones and help help the population so there is a there's a lot of good you can do yeah no i i don't know i think i shared the story in the past uh, uh with 
thinking about these personal relationships you have with, especially with bankers, um, they're people too. Um, you're far more compelling in person. It, you know, maybe you're, you think you're best over the phone or you're shy or nervous or something, but a person who shows up is far more honestly real and tangible than a disembodied voice on a digital phone line. Um, it's a level of commitment. I'm here. I'm front of you, you know, deal with me and my group. Um, I would, I would say, I think I shared this maybe 12, uh, 50 episodes ago. It bears repeating my business partner, Fred Rivers and I were in town looking at one building that we had purchased through conventional means. Um, and we were profiled in the Windsor star and we were looking at another property at that time. And it just so happened the business page of the Windsor star was open on the credenza behind the bank manager we were meeting. And I saw him, he looked at us, met us, chatted a little bit, and they turned around and looked at that newspaper. And I knew it was there because it would, it was out on the table in the hotel. I saw that we were in the paper and honestly, I'm a tiny bit vain. I took two copies, cut them out uh, to save them for my partner. Say, look at this, Fred and I were covering the paper. Um, he went back and looked at him. And when he turned around, I was like, oh, these guys, there was a third party verification from Eleanor Van Wagenren, the newspaper reporter, that two investors from BC were in Windsor looking to buy property. Now, you know, the bank manager is not a fool. I came to know him and he's a good friend. Um, and if you're looking for financing, Motor City Community Credit Union in Windsor, you know, look up Fabio Cheska. He's an awesome guy and say hi for me. He's not a fool, but he looked at this and said, well, there's something of more substance here than these fellows are willing to, to say, because we're modest guys. We're not going to bang our chest and say, look how great we are. But another person was able to do the work for us and say, hey, these guys are credible investors from Vancouver. And that what we went on to do five or more buildings together with Fabio. Um, it was to coin a pun or to make a pun. It was a Fabio experience. It was great. It totally worked out for all of us. Um, everybody won. The tenants won. The cityscapes won. Uh, we did some really good work there with him. And we're indebted to them. But that came out of a personal relationship. It started with third party. We were there physically. A third party confirmed that we we're for legit um, and worked out from there. Uh, we're not impressive when you meet us, um, although Fred is quite handsome. Um, not that impressive, but we're there and we're legit. And I, I think you overlook the opportunity that you have if you're present. I'm invested in it. I know Glenn thinks I should travel perhaps less. No, I, I think you should. I think you should travel, but I don't think you should be working as much when you're there. <laughs> yeah, so maybe I should enjoy it more. I never golfed in Windsor. Never once. I know we're a little over time, so I'll say my last bit of that Kansas City story. But when yeah. I went there, we we went, and that was the only portfolio on the market, those 35 houses that had seller financing and were for sale. Um, wow. There was none. We got there. We told them this is what we wanted. The brokers picked up the phone. They called around. And guess what? We, we flew out. We went and toured three more properties that weren't for sale and put offers on them. And we went home under contract it, with stuff nice. that wasn't listed. People didn't know they wanted to sell, but they, as the phone call went, the Canadians are here. They're looking to buy portfolios with seller financing. Or, Do you have anything? And they just called everyone they knew who had big portfolios. Voila, right? There it is. Anyway, all right, take us home. Otherwise, we're this honestly, this topic, I could talk about this a lot more. Even just thinking about my points, I could talk about each point for a podcast. <laughs> I didn't expect this uh, topic to uh, take us uh, where well, it took it's critical about operations and how you do the work, you know, not just what you think about it. What's it look like on the ground? What does it look like when you actually get your hands dirty with it? I, it's pretty relevant. I think I, I just didn't think it was 
Yeah, I was, I, I'm with you. It, this is a lot to this. Okay, well, thank you everybody for tuning in. And uh, as always, if you have a question you'd like to see covered during the show, uh, email us advancedreitalk at gmail.com. It's advancedreitalk at gmail.com and we'll uh, cover it for you. And yeah, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. Bye, everybody.